Aloha, and thank you for joining us on our exciting adventure of walking through the New Testament as a participant in a life group. Open your heart to what God may be saying to you as we endeavor not only to hear His Word, but to obey. Here now is our Bible teacher, Pastor Jim Morocco. John has used the word abide repeatedly in chapter 2. In the few verses before verse 28, John has been encouraging his audience on how to keep from falling victim to false doctrine. In order to do that, one must abide in God's word and allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to abide in them. Now, it seems that John summarizes his teaching that he shared earlier in verse 28 by simply stating, abide in him. This abiding in Christ has moral results or consequences, especially in light of the second coming of Christ, which John begins to talk about. John uses two words here for the second coming of Christ, his appearing, phanerosas, and his coming, parousia. Now, the word parousia was a popular one, literally meaning presence, and was the expression for the visit of a king or an emperor to a given town. Now, by John using both of these words, he is making it very clear that Jesus, who is now unseen, will be clearly seen, and he will personally be present. Now, John sees people reacting in one of two ways when the Lord returns. The Christian should have confidence. That is, as one writer has defined it, the fearless trust with which the faithful meet God. Our abiding in Christ should have the result in the life of the believer of being morally pure and thus having confidence or boldness, freely entering God's presence without fear. The other response to Christ's return by some will be being ashamed before him at his coming or literally shrinking from him in shame. Now the only thing that keeps us from shrinking from him in shame will be our continued abiding in him now. Now this leads John to again emphasize the mandatory element in a Christian's life of righteousness, right living. His point is clear. God is righteous. Everyone who is born of God will be righteous and act righteously. Thus, righteousness is the evidence of being born of God. Now, John is suggesting that since we are born of God, we share in his nature. And since he's righteous, those who are born of God are righteous too. This is probably different than what the false teachers were saying, who were stressing secret knowledge rather than righteousness. Now, John, with the reminder of the fact that we are born of God, states, Behold, what manner of love. Now, this phrase emphasizes the wonder of it all, that God loves us so much that he made us his sons. In fact, the phrase, what manner of, originally meant, of what country. God's love is foreign to this world. It's unearthly and therefore implies astonishment and wonder. It is only here that we see the picture of God bestowing or giving his love to us. That is, God has not only shown his love in history through Christ, but he has allowed us to personally experience it ourselves. We're not only called God's sons, we are God's sons. Well, this explains why the world doesn't know us, because it didn't know Jesus. John makes it very clear that the sons of God and the world are so different from each other that it is not strange that the world knoweth us not, as John says. Now, John calls his readers beloved, just as he did in chapter 2, verse 7. And it's interesting that when the word was used before, John, in the following verses, talked about love. So now, again, in realizing God's great love for us, he addresses his readers as beloved, for truly they are beloved of God and of John. He then reiterates that they are truly sons of God. 
But he goes on to say what the future holds for God's children. The second coming of Christ is the theme of this passage. And here we see that when Christ returns, not only will he be manifest as the king of kings, but we too will be manifest as sons of God. Now John presents in verse 2 two basic truths. One, that the Christian is not all-knowing. John states, and the New English Version translated, what we will be has not yet been known. Now this statement is a balance to John 2.27, which states that the anointing teaches you of all things. The Christian knows only to the degree that God has revealed it to him. Now secondly, John confirms the truth found in other places of Scripture, which is threefold. Christ will appear, we shall see him as he is in all his glory, and we shall be like him as he is. Now, since we became new creations through the miracle of a new birth in Christ, the purpose of God from that point on has been to, as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, this process done by the Holy Spirit is an ongoing one. And it transforms us into the likeness of Christ from one degree of glory to another, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But when we see him, that process will come into completion. Now these truths bring John to the real result of our hope in Christ's second coming. And it's a recapping of what he said earlier in verse 28. And that is that we live a life of purity. John states everyone, that is, there is no exception, who has this hope the hope of his appearing, our seeing him and our becoming like him, a hope founded upon Christ's promise, a fixed hope, hope that is fully expecting, a hope in him, that is, in Christ, not in ourselves, but a hope in him and the glory that awaits us in Christ. John says that a person who has that kind of hope purifies himself. The result of that hope is a purifying himself. He becomes morally pure. John sees this, as a continual cleansing. It's a cleansing that he's already talked about in chapter 1, verse 7, by the blood of Christ. And and comes as we continue to be open when we sin to confess our sins, as he states in verse 9 of chapter 1. And turning from our sin and repenting, we purify ourselves as Jesus is pure. Since He is pure, and when we see Him, we'll be like Him, we must live out a life of purity. I'll be back in a moment with the application. This passage has opened to us a new vista of the reality of the coming of the Lord. What we need to see here is, first off, we are God's children. Now that is a tremendous privilege. It's a privilege given to us because of the great love of God for us. As God's children, we have in reality been adopted into God's family. That's the big theme that the Apostle Paul talks so much about. And and this adoption has been because of God's great love for us. He's allowed us to enter his family. And because we are now his children, we are his sons, we are heirs to all that he has. We also will share in his glory. And in the second coming of Christ, we begin to see unfolded the tremendous future you and I have as God's children. And the world around us doesn't see all that. But in your heart, through the working of the Spirit, God is preparing you for a great unveiling of His glory that's going to be shown through you. It's fascinating how the Apostle Paul says that 
at our conversion, and he mentions this, for instance, in Ephesians 4.24 and also in Colossians 3.10, that we're new creations in our conversion. We're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And since it's God's plan to conform us into his image, we begin to see that that image of God begins to take place in our life day by day as we go from one degree of glory to another, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But the fascinating thing is that our growing into becoming more like Jesus stems from what Paul says, we have an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. As we continue to look on the Lord, as we continue to seek him, we begin to become more like him till finally one day when we see him, when he appears, we'll be like him. The important thing is to continue to keep that vision of the Lord. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to see him. That's why it's so important to read the word. That's why it's so important to continue in fellowship. That's why it's so important to pray. To continue to have vision. One person has said vision becomes assimilation. That is, you become that which you envision. We need to envision the Lord to continue to see his glory. And we will be like him, the Bible says. Now that is exciting. That is tremendous. It is absolutely mind-boggling what God has prepared for you and me. Now the fascinating thing is, It's because of that we have got to realize that we need to be pure. We need to be holy. We need to be righteous. And the whole point that John is making is that nobody who says they're born of God can be anything but righteous. If we really are waiting for the appearance of the Lord and we're going to be translated into Him, we're going to be like Him, that ought to be an ongoing process even now, a desire to be like Him. How are your attitudes? Are your attitudes like Christ? Do you have a gentle heart like Jesus? Are you reflecting his likeness in your life? The Holy Spirit's desire is that that really takes place. Why don't you do that? Why don't you allow that to begin to happen through your own desire to study the word and pray and seek him and ask for forgiveness and being forgiven, confessing your faults one to another, confessing your sins, repenting and doing that which he's calling you to do. You know, the coming of the Lord isn't something that we have to be afraid of. It's something we embrace and look forward to. It's our unveiling for who we really are. We're God's children. There's people on your jobs that you talk to them about the Lord and they really don't understand and they kind of make fun of you and mock you. They really don't know who you are. You're the object of God's love. And one day you'll shine brighter than the stars in the heavens because you will reflect God's glory. That kind of hope causes us to continue to live a life of purity before him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege you've given us to be called your children. Not just to be called your children, but be your children. Father, I pray that the result of this truth in our lives will cause us to be pure and holy before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.